to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Adrian Guess, along with my co-host, Devin Dito. It's weekly roundup number 18, October 16th of 2021. Plenty of news, so we're going to get right into it with our first segment. We wanted to lead off talking about a little, bit, a little bit of COVID news. COVID is actually the leading cause of death amongst police officers now, despite many of them being resistant to get the vaccine. More than 460 cops have died from COVID-19 cases, tied to their work since the beginning of the pandemic, according to the Officer Down Memorial page. In 2020 and 2021, more than four times as many police officers have died from COVID than from gunfire. In the same period, COVID was the most common cause of duty-related deaths. In many places around the country, police departments have many job openings, but few qualified candidates. In order to prevent a major walkout in any given police department, some cities have offered routine testing as a way to circumvent the vaccine mandate the Times has reported. Uh, Really interesting stuff, Devin. Um, We still have a lot of people who don't want to get their shots, but at this point, I am convinced (laughs) you just need to get a shot. (laughs) Um, We're never going to get out of this until you get a shot. And if you're someone where you're interfacing a lot of people, like in the medical field, grocery stores, police, you really need to get a shot. Yeah, get a shot. That's I mean, that's that's the message. And. You know, I'm I'm a little surprised by our crew on the other side, you know, the back the blue crowd, why there's not more, you know, calls for them to get vaccinated because we're seeing COVID, you know, kill more officers than gunfire. Just a few months, you know, a few years ago, that was all the rage. But uh, we'll move on from that, from COVID, and we'll go, um, still talking kind of about the police, but we're going to go to Dayton, Ohio here. Um, This is going to be our first discussion topic. So the Dayton Daily News has released a shocking video where police officers forcibly removed a paraplegic man from his a paraplegic black man from his vehicle by his hair. So the man identified as Clifford Owensby was thrown onto the ground, had handcuffs placed on him and was jammed in the backseat of a police car after he declined officers requests. And so. Backup will later arrive with a canine unit to search his vehicle under the suspicion of drugs and guns. And so Owens be told the outlet uh, the experience made him feel helpless. He said, quote, I feel like they didn't even respect me as a citizen. Owens be said he said uh, he, he said that he actually sustained injuries during the altercation, including several scratches and scrapes. In addition, he said he thinks officers re injured a previous back wound. Uh, The officer escalates uh, in the video. You can watch that the officer actually escalates the situation by forcibly removing him by his his hair, his locks. The Dayton Police Department released a statement saying that they are, quote, committed to transparency and that the Professional Standards Bureau would be conducting an investigation. But, Adrian, this was on video recorded. You can see it clear as day. They pulled him out of his car. So, I mean, yeah, Adrian, you know, this story here, I saw this, you know, it was all over social media. People were talking about it. I mean, the video shows clear as day. They pulled him out the car. He's telling them that he is, you know, a a paraplegic. He's disabled. And it just was ignored. And what makes it even worse is I and don't don't quote me on this, but I do believe that this was actually a black officer that did did this. You can see his hand in the video. It looked like a black officer. So that just makes it even worse. Um, You know, and you would think. You know, we were talking before the show, you would think with everything that's happening, the microscope that police officers are under, 
that things like this would not continue to happen. But, you know, here we are, you know, and it's all on video and they're going to do their investigation. But I, you know, I got low expectations for that. <laughs> I I have low expectations for sure about that. You know, I get how some people can say if an officer tells you to do something, you've got to comply with it, respect authority, do as you're told. But obviously, if someone's telling you that I can't physically do what you're wanting me to do, and I don't want you to have to touch me, you know, because I don't know you like that, you don't need to be handling me, um, you know, get your supervisor. That's I believe that's what um, um, what uh, Clifford um, uh, was talking about was just, you know, I don't mind complying, but just get somebody higher than you so that we can, you know, make sure that this is fully necessary. And I just feel that, you know, this just shows how we still have further to go with police reform. Um, we, we just, like you said, Devin, and like we said before the show, with the microscope, with with the magnifying lens that police departments are under right now, you would think that that they would just be doing better community policing. You know, you would think that everybody would just be focused on having the best practices as, a, as, as law enforcement. Yeah. I mean, you would, you would think so, right? We've seen all these videos come out and we saw what happened with George Floyd and Jacob Blake and uh, you know, all, Breonna Turner and all these things that happened, but it's just as much as things change, they stay the same. And hopefully these officers are held accountable for what they did. I mean, the man is literally telling you he physically can't do what you're asking. And they just seem to ignore it and, and, and do what they want to and impose their will. Uh, we can't treat people as, as you know, scum on the street just because you're a police officer. That does not give you the right to do that. Absolutely. And it's one of those things to where, you know, clearly they wanted to get him out because they wanted to sniff search with the drug dog and maybe the drug dogs are violent but then that becomes an issue where maybe we should, you know, retrain the drug dogs to, you know, handle nonviolent, you know, uh, searches different than, you know, busting in on a mob boss or whatever. It's, you know, it's maybe we need to do something different. As I always say, there's, you know, there's a there's a policy for everything. We just got to figure out how to address it. But we're gonna move on from that and go to. Uh, where is this out? Of? This is out of Georgia. Uh, mm-hmm. Black students were suspended from their high school for planning a protest after another group of students came to school waving a Confederate flag. Um, last week, a group of students at Coosa High School in Rome, Georgia, were filmed waving the Confederate flag and hurling racial slurs. Newsweek reported that the four students filmed were carrying the Confederate flag in favor of Farm Day on School Spirit Day, which led up to homecoming. However, the school administration suspended several students who were playing the protests. Student protesters told CBS 46 that only black students were suspended. This is a quote from the administrator. The administration is aware of tomorrow's planned protest. Uh, police will be present here at school. And if students insist on encouraging this kind of activity, they would be disciplined for encouraging unrest. Two white students participating in Friday's protests were not suspended even though they claim to be as disruptive as the black student CBS reported, you know, it's not surprising to kind of, you know, uh, um, you know, have this sort of stuff happening. You know, one could argue freedom of speech, freedom to kind of, you know, voice your concern, you know, voice your opinion, wave your flag or whatever. But obviously when it comes to a, a, a something that's 
you know, deeply racist, obviously, with the Confederate flag and, you know, saying racial slurs. And then, you know, this administrator, you know, disciplining them just for wanting to protest, which is, you know, uh, a right that we have in our country. Um, this is a, an interesting story, Devin. It, it is. And it just shows the uneven application of punishment again, you know, and we need to call these things out um, for how they're handling this. You can be a little bit more understanding, at least in my view. Uh, obviously, we're not there. We don't know what's happened at the school before this, but it just seems to be a little, un, you know, uneven as far as how we're handing out punishment. Um, but we'll we'll move on from that story. And of course, we'll update you if anything else does happen with that. But we wanted to move on to the NFL um, and talking about what's going on uh, with the now former head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders, John Gruden. So um, his resigning has been called a, a victory for d- diversity advocates that um, he is no longer in the NFL. And this is after an email scandal that came about that included sharing topless photos of cheerleaders and even calling the NFL commissioner anti-gay and misogynistic slurs. But everyone involved, this is an article we saw from someone wrote, this is an opinion piece, but they say that everyone involved should be ashamed of letting him get away with using a racial slur to characterize the African-American head of the league's players union. So Gruden, John Gruden on Friday was reported to have made fun of the facial features of the NFL Players Association president, DeMaurice uh, Smith. And so, and this was in an email from 10 years ago. He might as well had held up a picture of uh, Stephen Fetchett with Smith's name on it. Uh, Gruden even was able, you know, even after these comments came about, he was able to stay on his job through the weekend. So these comments actually came out last week. Gruden was able to coach this weekend, lost to the Bears. The only thing he said was that, quote, all I can say is that I'm not a racist. I can't tell you how sick I am. I had no racial intention with those remarks at all. I'm not at all. I'm not like that at all. I apologize. I don't want to keep addressing it. And this was after the first story that came out about him making fun of Marie Smith, who's a black man who's the head of the Players Union. Um, I think he said, and just it's not in here, but he said that uh, Smith's lips were the size of Michelin tires. And <laughs> that's an, an old black trope. We know <laughs> this. We've heard that before. And he wasn't fired for that. He didn't resign. He was able to coach the game this weekend. However, this week comes, and a new report came out that showed that Gruden had actually been loosely saying bigoted things for years, not just about black people, but also about gay people and even women. After that story came out, that's when he was actually forced to quit and resign. And it was even reported that Gruden had sent provocative photos and insulted a white man with gay slurs. And then that when that's once that story came out, he resigned a few hours later. So I think Adrian, you know, the reason for this discussion is he made fun of, I mean, like, obviously that, that has racist origins. When you talk about the, the facial features of black people, particularly the lips, because we know the old ads we used to see back in the, you know, the forties the and fifties about making fun of black people's lips and how big they were. That has racist origins in it. And coach, you know, John Gruden used it to make fun of uh, D Smith and he wasn't fired for it. Had these other emails not come out about the gay slurs and, and making fun of women and all this, it's very possible John Gruden could still be in the NFL. So it just seems as though as a, society in the country 
we were almost going to give John Gruden a pass for making fun of the black man. But when it became, you know, oh, he insulted the gay community and even women. Now it's like, all right, that's bridge too far. You got to, you know, you got to go. And I, you know, I think there's, that's fair criticism of just how society responds to people, you know, making fun of, discriminating or being racist to black people. you know it's funny that we you know we have we you know keep touching around this topic um i don't know Devin. it's it's interesting it's i don't i don't think any minority group has any more or should have any more position than the other i suppose i think everybody should have their own you know movement and their own you know voice uh you know fight for whatever they need to for their people um but you definitely can see a difference in America now to where, um, as you said, you talk about black communities and it's it's bad, but it's you don't get canceled for that. But you talk about, you know, women, you talk about um, gay, LGBTQ, LGBTQ community, anything like that. And it's like, you know, got to let the floodgates open up. And I'm not, you know, taking away, you know, cause I'm supportive and within one of those uh, other communities. So I'm not taking away from anything. Um, but I definitely agree that um, we, we really need to start, you know, just allocating cancel culture to, you know, I guess appropriately, if we're going to do it for somebody who talks about, you know, gay community you know do it for somebody for blacks i mean it's it's the same thing but also to the larger point of the article here if someone has comments like this talking about the size of someone's lips obviously you can say well i'm not racist i got black friends but if you make comments like this it makes us wonder you know because it's actions speak louder than words you just telling me you know this and then you having thoughts like this i mean it's Clearly, you've got some some underlying racial um, um, prejudices. We'll put it like mm-hmm. that. No, I think that's a great that's a great way to put it. And it's you know, and it's and it's the NFL. You know, I, I think we all understand that John Gruden is not the only person in the NFL who thinks like that, who acts like that. We see how they hire coaches. We see how they treat their players. This is not. He is not a one off. So. This story was part of a 650,000 email, you know, trove that came out. So I I hope we see the rest of those emails to see what else was being said, because he was sending these emails to other people who saw them and did not report them then. So I can't imagine that there aren't other ones floating around that are, if, you know, just as bad or not worse than what he said. So hopefully that full story does actually come out. Absolutely. Um, to move us forward into some more progressive news here, uh, Fox News host Tucker Carlson, um, which just, that guy is just, just terrible. His name is awful. Uh, on Thursday, mock transportation secretary Pete Buttigieg for taking paternity leave after adopting twins. Buttigieg and his husband, Chaston, announced in August that they were adopting newborn twins. Buttigieg's office told Politico this week that he has been placed on paternity leave since mid-August to spend time with his family. During a rant about inflation and and during sorry, during a rant about inflation and supply chain shortages in this this Thursday's broadcast, Carlson mocked Buttigieg over the news. 
this is a quote from Carlson. Pete Buttigieg has been on leave from his job since August after adopting a child. Paternity leave, they call it, trying to figure out how to breastfeed. No word on how that went. Again, uh, this is from Tucker Carlson. Spokesman for Buttigieg told Politico that Buttigieg has been mostly offline except for major agency decisions and matters that cannot be delegated for the first four weeks and has been ramping up activities since then while continuing to support his husband and take care of his new children. You know, Devin, it's one of those things to where if we are going to get to a, a point of being more progressive and more modern, we do have to recognize you know, paternity leave, maternity leave, those are good things. You know, you know children do well when they have two parents. Um, when, when you have parents who can, you know, both be around, who can really support, especially in the early stages, because, I mean, these are newborn twins. I mean, I can understand, you know, maybe a little joke if they had adopted like some 16-year-olds or something like that. But, you know, this is twins that are newborn. You really need to be there for that. Plus, you know, I, 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 I'm a supporter of, you know, paternity leave. You know, I think that, you know, if, if I'm not, I'm not one of those things to say, if women should have it, men should have it. It's not even about that. It's really just about the fact that kids, you know, having their parents in the household during their developing stages, that's to me a good thing. I mean, I'm not a doctor or a researcher, but I would imagine there is a lot of research behind that. It, and it is, it, it's proven to help, you know, with, especially like you say, those early days are the most important and you want to have both parents there. Like you say, it's not really about, well, the way, you know, women can do it. Men should be able to, it's more so how do we get the best outcome for the children, the child, the children in this case. And so if, you know, this is something I think needs to happen and yeah, there are going to be people who make fun of it, blah, blah, you know, whatever. And he's making fun of them because they are, you know, a gay couple. And he's talking about, oh, they're trying to breastfeed. I just, whatever, Tucker. You expect that from people like Tucker Carlson who, you know, have no sense of, you know, understanding. Well, he, yeah, he doesn't have a sense of understanding what people go through. And, you know. Thank you for listening to the Black Agenda Podcast. We appreciate your support and we ask that you like, share, and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. Hey, welcome back, listeners. So let's get back into it here. Uh, Our first story is going to come from Capitol Hill. So uh, Senators Rand Paul, Republican from K- Kentucky, and Cory Booker, Democrat from New Jersey, have both announced that they are introducing a bill to end U.S. Food and Drug Administration, a.k.a. FDA, and animal testing mandates. So the FDA Modernization Act will put an end to an FDA mandate that requires experimental drugs to be tested on animals before they are used on humans in clinical trials. So this legislation will not ban animal testing, but it will give drug sponsors an option to use alternative methods. And this is according to their statement. Uh, They said, quote, uh, the FDA Modernization Act will accelerate innovation and get safer, more effective drugs to market more quickly by cutting red tape that is not supported by current science. That is from Rand Paul. Uh, Cory Booker said, thanks to modern scientific innovation, the use of animal 
toxicity testing for experimental drugs has become increasingly obsolete. And so um, that'd be interesting, Adrian. We were talking about that. You know, what are they going to test on if they don't do animals? But it looks like this is only for experimental drugs. So maybe it's not that huge of a change. Yeah, it doesn't seem like too big of a change, but I guess, I guess, because with experimental drugs, it is kind of more um, more on the person who's taking it to say, hey, mm-hmm. we haven't really, you know, this isn't approved yet. You know, do you want to try it anyway? So I guess it, you know, it makes sense. But And, and we're uh, not doctors. Please don't yeah, quote us here. We're not hey, doctors. <laughs> and, and honestly, you know, if if Rand Paul though is on something, I'm surprised. Um, uh, I feel like he doesn't necessarily have because he he's a doctor, right? I feel like he's not. I think um, he is. Yeah, but I feel like he's he he was the one the doctor that wasn't um smart about COVID because I think during a lot of the um, hearings that he was on, <laughs> uh, he was saying a lot of crazy things. So I was surprised to see he and Cory Booker. I guess you can reach across the aisle. <laughs> <laughs> but let's go to another story here. Uh, uh, this this has a heading, uh, Flint 2.0. And if you remember, Flint, uh, Michigan is about lead in the water. But this is about another city, uh, the city of Benton Harbor, uh, second majority black city in the state of Michigan, experiencing high amounts of lead in its drinking water. Residents have been advised not to use their tap water for drinking, bathing, brushing teeth, or cooking out of an abundance of caution because of the lead contamination crisis. According to the reports, the residents of Benton Harbor have been struggling with the lead issue for as many as three years. The Garden reports that in 2018, Benton Harbor was found to have lead contamination of 22 parts per billion in its tap water, which is even higher than the water of Flint, Mich- uh, Flint Michigan during their crisis. There is no safe level of lead in drinking water, but the EPA takes federal action at any level above 15 uh, parts per billion. Um, that's crazy, Devin. Um, higher than you know, the Flint crisis. And you know this has been a problem for three years, but people are not addressing it. Talk about you know a, a $3.4 trillion infrastructure bill and how we just need to get you know uh, new pipes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's why that money is so important. That's why we need to pass that infrastructure bill to fix issues like this. And so hopefully the Biden administration is paying attention and isn't like the Obama administration, in my opinion, where they could have done more to help Flint get through that crisis. Um, but of course, we'll update you if the F, you know, if the EPA actually does take action to help out the folks there in uh, in Benton Harbor. But we're going to go to South Lake, Texas here. And we're going to talk about the Holocaust. <laughs> so there's a Texas school, a Texas school district administrator has told teachers in South Lake, Texas, that if they have books about the Holocaust in their classrooms, they should also have books that offer, quote, opposing or, quote, other viewpoints on the subject. The school district posted a statement on Facebook from Superintendent Lane Letbetter offering an apology, and it says offering a quote, an apology regarding the online article and news story. He also said, additionally, we recognize that there are not two sides of the Holocaust, and we also understand this bill does not require an an opposing viewpoint on historical facts. He said the district will work to clarify expectations for teachers and apologize for any hurt or confusion this has caused. 
Um, Adrian, I don't understand how people like this even get into our school district system. <laughs> you know, the fact that it was even a statement is ridiculous in itself. Who says, uh, who lets this out of your mouth to say, yeah, if you want to have books about the Holocaust in your classroom, you need to have one that has opposing or other viewpoints. Like, what are those opposing viewpoints on the Holocaust? We all know it happened. It's documented history. But, I mean, maybe they know something we don't know. You know, Devin, I, I don't know. I would definitely say that I'm not sure, like, what law that, that they're looking at, uh, that this school administrator was looking at and interpreted in such a way that, that, that they thought that it meant to have opposing views. Um, cause obviously I, the, the article even says, you know, what opposing view can you have on the Holocaust? Uh, somebody said that in the meeting uh, with the administrator because you can. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a factual event that happened. And you, you can't offer up something of, of a different narrative to say, well, this is why Hitler did it and this is why it was good. I mean, there, there's nothing you can offer up as an mm-hmm. opposing uh, view other than it was a horrible event. It's like, you know, slavery or us killing the Native Americans. Um, it, it, there's no opposing view to it. It's just that's a factual thing that happened and it's bad. And and this was the worry when we had our conversation with Jennifer, uh, Jennifer George about critical critical race theory. This was the worry about when you go and you pass all these laws trying to ban critical race theory and requiring multiple viewpoints and, and all this about historical facts. This is what you get. They're talking about this came in in relation to the law that Texas passed a few months ago saying that you had to. You know, prov- you know, when teachers teach about certain subjects, they have to have, a po- you know, books that contain opposing or other perspectives. It's this whole what about is, you know, this both sidesism to things that we're trying to do here. We don't want to teach the real history of the country that slavery happened. It was racist, racially motivated and that it still affects the country today. We want to put things into the school system that have an opposing viewpoint to that history, even though we all know it happened. And so this is one of the the effects of these laws that they're passing, trying to ban critical race theory, where you do get people who say, well, if you're going to have a book about the Holocaust in your classroom, you also have to have one that has an opposing viewpoint. And so it's just like, where do you draw the line? Because race, you know, slavery happened here in the United States. (laughs) White people in, in, in the early United States benefited from it. These are things that are proven true. And our society still has a problem with race, and and we just don't want to reckon with that. So we rather just do blanket statement laws, trying to give you know multiple perspectives about things that we know have happened. And this is what you get. <laughs> you get yeah. this kind of gray area about just things. like the um, what seventeen seventy six commission. Yeah, it's just yeah trying to have a, a counter narrative to what actually happened. Um, you know, we're, that's where we are, where, you know, unfortunately, I think one of your senators said that um, white, white Americans feel that, that, you know, minorities are taking the culture away from them and that they've got to rise up and take it back. That's exactly what what's happening. They're, they're trying to preserve it. But um, again, we'll, we'll keep you updated. It looks like Southlake 
they apologize for it. They're not going to be requiring, you know, books with opposed views of the Holocaust in classrooms. So at least they dodged that bullet. Um, but we're going to go from, you know, a school district in Texas up to Howard University in Washington, D.C. They are actually going through the second day of a student-led sit-in at the university, which is in Washington, D.C. And this is amid complaints from students that are related to inhumane living conditions, COVID-19 concerns, and a lack of student representation on a board of trustees. It looks like protesters protesters said that their concerns have fallen on deaf ears. So their occupation of two floors in a student affairs building is led is to let the administration know that they've had enough. And so one of the pressing issues is the presence of rats and roaches that students say they see in their dormitories and various eating facilities around campus. They've also uh, have complaints about mold around the residence halls and classrooms. And we, they even now have a group of students that are part of the live movement, which is a coalition of students at the HBCU that advocate for education reform and academic advancement for Black students. And this was started by Howard Sr. Anaya Vines, uh, and she is one of the main organizers and participants of this sit-in. So a lot going on at Howard. Um, We had them on our show, AJ and Dr. Wuto, when we were talking about the state of HBCUs, and it looks like the state of Howard (laughs) is not great uh, if you're going to be living in dormitories on campus. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i like that uh joke there david that's really good um i i I, like like i said off uh off uh the the podcast i think going back to that big endowment that that they have at howard um (laughs) the largest one they've ever had the largest one that any hbcu has um right now um they shouldn't be having rats and roaches and mold and dorms they should be having the most pristine um, areas for their students, uh, their scholars <laughs> to be at and stuff. But uh, if we see some new developments on that, we'll make sure to keep you in the loop because that, that's actually a good story there. Um, this is another interesting story here. Um, hours after All-Star Brooklyn Nets guard Kyrie Irving opened up about his decision to remain unvaccinated and miss games and practices until he fulfilled New York City's coronavirus vaccine mandate. He found support from, you know, ironically, Representative Marjorie Green Taylor, uh, uh, probably not the or, or Marjorie Taylor Green, uh, probably not the, the, the person you want to support you. But uh, Green tweeted on Thursday. The fastest NBA won't let Kyrie Irving play. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. She come out strong. Uh, won't let him play for refusing a vaccine, but they still let Magic Johnson play with HIV. Uh, Laverne Spencer, uh, a Republican congressional candidate in Florida, also tweeted that Johnson had, quote, full-blown HIV when he was allowed to play, which... I don't even know what full blown. I don't even never even heard of that statement before. Uh, the comparison from conservatives ignores how the coronavirus is airborne and can be can be spread through respiratory droplets, while HIV is contracted through direct contact with bodily fluids such as semen and blood. Yeah, there's there's a <laughs> there's a lot that you know that you could just unbuckle here with with their statements of you know how they're trying to compare the two. And you can. I mean, it's, you know, Magic Johnson wasn't out there just spreading HIV by breathing on players or touching people or coughing or, I mean, unless they were in the bedroom doing stuff or he was bleeding all over the place, 
I mean, he wasn't getting people infected. That's much different than someone with with you know COVID. I mean, you can. I mean, I can just be talking and I can give you COVID. I mean, I can't just talk to you and give you HIV. I mean, it's <laughs> these people are. I mean, like I said, Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's not anybody that I would ever want on my uh, team. So, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the most ridiculous thing I think I've seen during this whole pandemic. I mean, just the willful, I don't know if it's willful ignorance or people, you know, just wanting to start some stuff. I don't know what full, full blown HIV is. And it's just, <laughs> I, I just, I don't even know what to say. I mean, it's just so ridiculous. The things that people will say, um, Number one, this is not a rule by the NBA. This is a rule from the state of New York that they're having to follow. That's the first thing you got to point your gun at the NBA all you want to. It's coming from the state of New York. They have a rule where you have to be vaccinated if you're going to be in these arenas like this. Um, And and it's, it's just a larger problem where people take something like what happened with Magic Johnson. And then two, this is awful for Magic Johnson. He's gone on and made himself a, a billionaire, and people still want to pull out the fact that he has HIV. He hasn't done anything to anyone during this pandemic, and here they are, you know, essentially making fun of the fact that he had HIV and painting him as this super spreader of HIV in the NBA, and that's just not true. And it's just ridiculous to me to, to make these comparisons, knowing that you're giving out misinformation. But like you say, when you get a Marjorie Taylor Greene who's on your side, if you're Kyrie Irving, you got to question what you're doing. Because those are not the people you want to be on the, on the side of history with. Make your decision, Kyrie. It's up to you. But life is about choices and trade-offs. His, his teammates, Kevin Durant and James Harden, made a choice to go get vaccinated. And they're going to play ball. Kyrie Irving decided, I'm not going to take the vaccine. And the trade-off is he doesn't get to play in the NBA. I'm sorry, but that's just how it is. I don't feel bad for him necessarily because he understood he's a grown person. He made a choice. But to to take this and apply it as if the NBA is being fascist or he should be allowed to play because Magic Johnson was allowed to play with HIV, that's not true either. Once he found out, he had to stop. And he shocked the world when he did it. It's just ridiculous the peop- the things that people will say, you know, just to get some clicks and some likes on Twitter and, and some clout, you know, just to, to look cool. I don't, I, I really don't get it. It's just bizarre world we live in right now um, with the vaccine. There's so much misinformation that's flying around. Yeah. So just I mean, <laughs> and not to, I mean, this is also coupled with HIV, AIDS, you know, miseducation, mm-hmm. misinformation, yeah. and stigmas um, uh, uh, that, that a lot of people today are still unaware of. And, and that's, that's another sad thing, uh, with this because I mean, it's been around for a while. I mean, decades now yes. and people still don't want to you know, recognize that. That's why it's, you know, having such an issue of getting the proper funding globally. You know, that's why Africa, you know, and other countries are having such large issues with it. Um, because we still stigmatize it and won't put proper funding towards it. So, um, and this is, this is what our leadership is. You know, you got someone who's, who's a sitting member of Congress and someone who's trying to run, you know, in Florida. Uh, and this is unfortunately the Republican party. It is. And it's just a ploy for the girl, uh, for the lady, Miss Spencer, who's running, 
for the seed in, in Florida. It's just a way for her to get some exposure. She got some free time. I hate that we even mentioned her on the show. when She got us this time, but she will not be mentioned again. Uh, <laughs> just know that for sure. <laughs> uh, but we'll move on. Uh, for our last story here before we go to break, just want to get you, uh, let you know about a cool story, but it's okay. Would you like to contribute to our scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, go to patron.podbean.com forward slash black agenda pod. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. Um, all right, let's get back into it. All right, listeners, welcome back. As Devin said, your favorite segment, our quick hits here. A lot of funny stuff to get into. First, we're going to take you to New Zealand, a city called Christchurch. They're parting ways with its official city wizard. You heard it correctly, wizard. Uh, the city's actually paying somebody. They have been paying somebody for nearly two decades to be a wizard. Fortunately, because of you know people being woke now, uh, they're firing. Uh, he has said some offensive remarks about women and the local government's new tourism strategy, reportedly spelled his doom. Uh, the guy's name is Ian Blackberry Channel. He's known as the Wizard of New Zealand, apparently given an official document like his passport. He's been on the Christchurch City Council's payroll since 1998, receiving an annual salary of about $11,000 in U.S. money to provide acts of wizardry and other wizard-like services as part of promotional work for the city of Christchurch, according to the New Zealand news uh, site stuff. Um, he says, I love women. I forgive them all the time. I've never struck one, never struck a woman because they bruise too easily. That's the first thing. And they'll tell the neighbors and their friends, and then you'll be in big trouble. So that's just, <laughs> this is something that this guy said. Um, despite his disappointment, Chanel promised to keep visiting Christchurch's art center to chat with tourists and locals. So that's that's interesting, Devin. Um, that you know, <laughs> obviously you can't live off eleven thousand, but as a part time job, being like the official wizard of a country. I mean, that seems like a cool thing for, you know, 20 years to put on a resume. Um, but, you know, to say this about women, you know, obviously you got to let them go. Yeah, buddy. You can't you can't do that. Even even a wizard can't be misogynistic, <laughs> you know, <laughs> ain't no magic going to fix that. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> but, hey, if you're hiring a wizard, there's, there's somebody out there that's looking. He's out of work. 20 years out. of experience providing yeah. uh, wizardry. So he's a vet. we'll move on from uh the world's i don't know if he's the world's only wizard but we're going to move to the world's tallest woman so there's a 24 year old woman in turkey and she's reaching quote-unquote new heights of fame as the world's tallest woman so the guinness world records has just declared rumesa gelji uh, who stands at seven feet and 0.7 inches and she is the world's tallest woman currently living and the previous record holder was china's uh yao deffen who stood at seven feet seven inches before she died in 2012 at the age of 40 and so miss gelji 
is no stranger to record keepers. In 2014, Guinness World Records awarded her the title for the tallest living female teenager. And then Gelgi's stature is caused, now just to explain how this happened, her stature and height is caused by a rare condition called Weaver syndrome that causes accelerated growth among other symptoms, including skeletal maturation. Despite how tall she is at seven feet, she actually has to use a wheelchair to get around most of the time, though she can move using a walker for short periods. So she's got all that height, Adrian. Unfortunately, she can't really use it. She has to use a wheelchair to get around. Uh, but, you know, seven feet is ridiculous. And the, and the person before her was seven feet, seven inches, which is unthinkable. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's really um, tall, and it, it made me wonder if she had the same syndrome because I see she died at such an early age of forty. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if if you know if that's kind of a result, but that's a very interesting um, story there. To take us to Canada, our our neighbors up north, uh, a Canadian woman is thankful to be alive after a meteorite ripped through the roof of her home. Uh, it barely missed her, actually, inches, I believe, or maybe an inch or two. I don't know. I didn't read that far into the article. Uh, Ruth Hamilton speculated that her five-year-old Australian shepherd, Toby, might have heard the meteorite pass through the atmosphere before it crashed through the tin roof. The meteorite trunk, uh, chunk hitting the roof sounded like an explosion, but at first, Hamilton, who's 69 or 66, had no idea what had happened, only that she had drywall dust all over her face and a sizable hole in the ceiling. She called, 99, she called 911 when she realized what happened. Hamilton said she loaned the meteorite to Western University, Ontario, for a month for research. Meanwhile, she's been plan- making plans for the meteorite when it returns. She says she's looking forward to showing it to her grandchildren and possibly students at the local school. She added that she is even thinking about selling it one day. So uh, that's 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 crazy. I can't imagine, you know, middle of the night meteorite coming through the roof. And, you know, it's just not something that you I feel like happens every day. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> I would have been confused like her. Like, what the heck just went through? You know, you got the dust on you and you're just looking dazed and, you know, confused. Um, I do wonder, though, how much these prospective bar, uh, buyers are offering her to buy this thing. Uh, you know, it'd probably be smarter for her to hold on to it for a little bit. But I'm just wondering, you know, how much they're actually trying to bet trying to pay for that (laughs) oh yeah i'm sure depending i guess it's not to be too scientific but i imagine it probably depends upon the composition of the Mm -hmm. meteorite and if it's got this or that uh but i'm sure i'm sure it's gotta be worth something and i mean if not she's got a a cool story i mean how many people can say they almost died due to a meteorite crash i mean that's like the dinosaurs or something (laughs) that's that's true (laughs) that's true but um, we'll go from, from meteorites to uh, bee stings or hornet stings. <laughs> How about that? Uh, it looks like uh, former NBA player J.R. Smith, you may remember him. He played with the Cleveland Cavaliers and LeBron James when he beat the Golden State Warriors. So he is an NBA champion, but he's actually now enrolled at North Carolina A&T. And so he's playing golf as well. And he actually literally stepped into a hornet's nest in his first college golf tournament. And it had nothing to do with the score. Uh, The 36-year-old NBA champion was literally stung by hornets while completing his round Tuesday. 
like I say, for North Carolina A&T, which is they're on the second day of Elon's Phoenix Invitational. Uh, J.R. Smith actually said that, quote, that's one of the very few things you don't have to worry about in basketball, other animals. When I got stung, I was like, no way, end quote. And so uh, the Hornets added to the sting of his birdie-less round of eight over par, uh, 79 on the Donald Ross design layout. Combined with his two rounds on Monday, he finished at 29 over 240, which landed him in 81st place out of the 84 entries. So I know he's just getting started. He's got some work to do, and and the Hornet stings certainly did not help. <laughs> yeah, um, he's got uh, a good bit of work to do. I am I, I like playing golf. I am awful at it. I have like some really, really lucky drives. Some pretty cool putts here and there, some chip shots. Um, eight over par is definitely not not what you want to be doing, especially for professionals. Because I mean, you watch those uh, golfing tournaments, and people only doing like one and two over, and usually a lot under. So, Jr. Smith, you better better study up. Uh, I'm sure he's probably not focusing too much on the books, more golf. So he's got some time. So if you are a, a dude, this could be interesting for you, especially if you're a couple and y'all are needing to uh, cool things down and not have some children. Uh, a German inventor has got a new uh, product on the market, well, soon to be on the market, maybe. German inventor's unique ultrasound testicle bath birth control device for men took the top prize at the country's James Dyson Awards. Rebecca Weiss an industrial design graduate from the University of Munich and inventor of the COSO male birth control device was named Germany's winner of the James Dyson Award, which celebrates, encourages, and inspires the design of new problem-solving ideas. The CS, the COSO uses an ultrasound testicle bath to temporarily stop sperm mobility. The device only needs to be used every few months to keep the sperm inert and prevent eggs from being fertilized during sex. The inventor said she is hoping the Dyson Award will help her obtain funding to put the COSO through clinical trials. As Germany's winner of the Dyson Award, Weiss is now shortlisted for the International Award, which carries a $40,000 prize. I think this is cool. Um, Definitely when it goes to the point of problem-solving ideas, you know, there's so many different products for women birth control. There's not really much other than, you know, a condom, you know, for, um, for, for male contraception. So I think this would be a cool idea. <clears throat> I guess that the only negative thing is that, you know, more testicle baths might, um, have a correlation with increased STD rates because people would be like, well, since since I just you know bathed my <laughs> testicles, you know we don't have to use a condom. But <laughs> like I say, choices and trade offs. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. Interestingly, speaking of condoms, I know you know this isn't a story, but you know California actually just uh, I saw this on Facebook. They passed a law making it illegal, like if you are you know during sex, if you just take off the condom, you know, accidentally or whatever, without mm-hmm. someone's consent, that's illegal now in California. Interesting. That's, huh. I'm just wondering how they're going to enforce that. 
I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, it sounds great on paper. <laughs> it's one of those things where you probably can't enforce it because you probably, you know, you can't have police in people's bedrooms <laughs> saying, "Hey, you know, you, you know, watch what you're doing there." I mean, but you could, but... you could, you could, you'd be, you'd be like Nazi Germany or something. Or imagine what you'll have. Hopefully, is people would have to report that, hey, um, you know, Chris slept with me and slept off the condom yeah. last night. You know, can y'all do something about it? Gotcha. Yeah. No, I, I get it. I get it. Good intentions, right? <laughs> but, um, two for there. Right. <laughs> but we'll, we'll end our, our, our quick hits here. Our last one here is about uh, some upset, I'm going to say coaches and parents here. So a high school soccer player in northern Michigan broke records for the most goals in a game, but not everyone is cheering. So Kevin Hubble of Benzie Central, one of the best players in the state, scored 16 goals against Kingsley. And this was on uh, September 29th. The game was declared over at halftime. It was a 17 to nothing wipeout of a winless team. And that's why some people are upset. Uh, This is from the Kingsley coach who lost 17 to nothing. He said, quote, to go after a personal record like that at the cost of another team's dignity was a little uncalled for. He said, soccer is not the right place for that. Soccer is a gentleman's sport. Uh, King, the, and just to let you know how far this is going, the Kingsley School Board has planned to discuss this issue on Monday night. This is reported by the Traverse City Record Eagle. Um, the Stags have already had a rough season. Like I say, they were 0-15 after another loss last week. And just to let you know about the, the guy who actually scored all these goals, Hubble and Benzie Central coach uh, Chris Batchelder knew the records were possible, and they actually did discuss them during the game. Um, his coach said, we are in a society where negative speaks before positive. I knew everyone wouldn't, wouldn't agree when he broke the record. I knew there'd be some people upset with it. So um, I don't know, Adrian. You know, it's like one of those things, as the best player in the state or one of the best players in the state, how often are you going to get the opportunity to set a record like he's trying to do? Obviously, the other team's going to be upset with it. But my first thought was, you know, if you didn't want it to happen to you, you could have just stopped it. You know, you could have played better defense or something. <laughs> I don't know. Figure it out. But it's your job to stop him. It's a game. Yeah. I mean, it's it sounds silly to me because it, I mean, maybe I'm understanding it wrong, but it just sounds like a player who's who's really good and happened to have an opportunity to break a record and took the opportunity to break the record. And like you said, if you wanted him not to break it, just do better, like set a higher record, <laughs> you know, or, you know, yeah. it's, 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 you know, come back next year and break his record. And then now you, you're the record holder. I mean, that's, that's what records are for. They're meant to be, you know, overcome and broken so that somebody else can take the mantle. So, you know, listeners, maybe you. You have been listening to the Black Agenda podcast hosted by Adrian Guest and Devin Dito. If you enjoy listening to the show, let the host know by leaving a review on Apple podcast or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash Black Agenda pod and give a few dollars. After all, the Black Agenda podcast is supported by listeners like you. Let's get back to the show. (laughs) 
All right, welcome back, listeners. So, as always, we like to give you a look forward as to what is upcoming on the podcast. So, first up, we'll be back with you on Tuesday for our regular scheduled episode, uh, which again is going to be all about civic engagement. We're going to be joined by Miss Melanie Campbell, who is the president and CEO of uh, the National Coalition on Black Civic Participation. So, we're going to be discussing with her how to be more engaged in our democracy in and out of election season midterms are coming next year so make sure you pay attention um, so when you're talking to her about how you can get involved and why civic engagement goes beyond just getting out there and voting so make sure you tune in on tuesday uh tuesday october 19th that's going to be our conversation about civic engagement and then after that again next saturday october 23rd we'll be right back here for weekly roundup number 19 that's our chance to bring you all the news from the past week. So make sure you tune in for that. We'll have a, a, a huge slate for you, some funny news, some odd news, some weird stuff, but also some interesting discussions and conversations about what's happening in the world. So make sure you tune in for that weekly roundup number 19 on uh, October 23rd, next Saturday. And before we go, we appreciate your support. We always like to say this. We appreciate your support and listening downloading the podcast and letting other people know to follow and listen to us. But we also would appreciate it if you helped us out with a little bit of money. We can take donations and Asia's going to let you know how you can give to us. Absolutely. It's really important to do this, listeners. Um, we really need gifts. <clears throat> Devin and I were really trying to do something with the Black Agenda that's beyond podcasting. We would love to grow this to an actual organization where we're doing things within communities, whether that be maybe a financial literacy seminars, uh, lobbying different governments, working with policymakers to come up with bills, whatever the case may be. But before we get to that, it really takes money to start the organization, get it going, hire people. It's a bunch of different things. And we're not asking for that much yet, but we're just asking for the start to something great. All you've got to do is go to our website, blackagendapod.com. There's a donate tab that you can click on. If you're listening to us through the Podbean app, there's also a donate tab directly in the app that you can go to. Once you click it, you'll notice that there is different tiers. Once you sign up to be a monthly patron, you'll receive something from Devin and myself, whether that's a shout out. Maybe you get to join us for an episode. Maybe you suggest a show topic to us. Definitely, definitely do that for us. Like I said, blackgenderpod.com. Click on that donate tab and start giving. The other thing, while you're very charitable, let's introduce you to another charity. Uh, this organization is called Race Forward. Race Forward conducts original and broadly accessible research on pressing racial justice issues. The research is focused on the ways institutional and structural racism leads to inequitable social and economic outcomes. They work to build movements for racial justice in partnership with communities, organizations, and sectors. They build strategies to advance racial justice in our policies, institutions, and culture. Race Forward imagines a just, multiracial, democratic society free from oppression and exploitation in which people of color thrive with power and purpose. So go check them out. Um, really, really cool organization. Like I said, while you're feeling charitable, go to blackagendapod.com, click that donate tab and give to us. That is right. We will appreciate anything that you give to us. Uh, before we go, we want to let you know you can find us on social media. Our handle is at Black Agenda Pod. 
And again, our handle is at Black Agenda Pod. So you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, not only uh, TikTok yet, we might get there, but right now, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Black Agenda Pod. Follow us. We're putting some great stuff out there. And more importantly, share it. Share all this content with your friends and family. We're trying to grow this thing here. And so we appreciate all the help that we can get. Um, You can also find us on YouTube. Uh, Just go to YouTube, search the Black Agenda podcast, and you're going to find me and Adrian talking with all kinds of experts, administrators from HBCUs, presidents from HBCUs. Uh, You know, we got Pulitzer Prize winning authors on the show and writers. (music) 